0: go back to Exodus chapter 3. And I want to, if you if you have an outline, I want to recap what we did uh, last Sunday morning briefly, and then we're going to go right into the remainder of the, uh, of the outline and of the lesson. So Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. That's Brother Fountain right there, Dennis Fountain. That's my man. And uh, he is he is an all-star, and I appreciate him very, very much, and thank God for him. He is from Moses Lake, Washington, and if you don't know where that is, not very many people do. Uh, it's, I said, the 87 that runs down, what is that the highway that runs north-south through Oregon? Oh, you, you're before that. You're, what is the what is the corridor that you're on there? By 90, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, we were coming back from Montana, and uh, I said to my wife, I said, I knew we were going through Moses Lake. He didn't know, and my wife didn't necessarily know, and the timing of it all just really wasn't going <laughs> to work out for us to stop and say hello, because I knew it was going to be elongated, and then he going to say, why don't you stay, and let's have dinner, and it was going to be, you know, you, when you're on a timeline and on a schedule, right, Bob? You <coughs> has got to go, and so we drove, and I saw the sign. It said, exit Moses Lake, and I said, hey, honey, look. Dennis Fountain lives right over there. She goes, oh, and then we just boom, blew right through. <coughs> well, the problem I made was telling him that that's what we did. And so I said, hey, you know, we drove, but you did what? And I said, yeah, we drove right by. And he said, I knew you were in the area, but I had no idea you were coming by. Gee, thanks for not stopping, you know, and then I got a ration of other things I can't share in the public. Um, but uh, anyway, <coughs> we have a really good time, as you can tell. So that's where he's from. He'll share a little bit more about that. Uh, a little bit later on. Exodus chapter (coughs) 3. I want to read this account again. I love this account. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. And it reminds me uh, just, again, who God really is and uh, and his sufficiency in all things. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, (coughs) even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see the straight sight, why the bush is not burned." And when the Lord saw that, he turned aside to see. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Off thy shoes from off thy feet, the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, (coughs) I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, bring them out of that land unto a good land, a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mightest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go in the Pharaoh that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? <laughs> and he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, what I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people of, of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What's his name? what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am that sent me unto you. And let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come unto you this morning in the name of your son Jesus Christ. And only because of his blood do we have any standing in your presence. For that we're very grateful, we're humbled that a holy, almighty God would love us so much to the intent that you would save us and bring us to yourself. That you would deliver us by your strong arm from the punishment and the power of sin. So we come this morning into your throne of grace, that we may find grace and mercy to help in this time of need. And God, we, we need your help and we must have it. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would please fill me with your Spirit and use me for your glory. I pray that you would use your Word. And I pray, God, that as your people, you would give us understanding. And then, Lord, when we leave here today, in the last 10 minutes, say, I pray that you would give us wisdom to apply what we've heard, that you would give us the faith and the courage to live it. Lord, help us not to deceive ourselves by thinking just because you've heard something, that something will be done. Help us to be doers of the Word also. I pray for these that are here. I pray that you'd minister to their needs and that you'd watch over them, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give us all wisdom, Lord. You said if any man lack it, and we lack all of it. I pray that you'll that you'll provide physically, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, I pray for healing for those that are hurting and sick. God, those who are getting ready to have surgery, the bob on the shoulder. I pray, Father, for uh, our team we prepare to take teenagers up to hear preaching, to see what other teenagers look like who are trying to live righteously in this world. I pray that you would do a mighty work, that you would touch the hearts of every teenager. I pray for kids to be saved. I pray for kids to surrender their lives to Christ and yield to the Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen and encourage every church that will be represented up there. And again, that it would be for the kingdom of God. We pray today that you be with those who could not be with us. We ask that you minister to them as well. We ask this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Amen. Last week I just reminded our church that every once in a while it's important for a church to be reminded of its mission. And be reminded of uh, not only the health of our church, but to reassess. Kind of, okay, who are we? And uh, what is it that we're doing? What is it that we should be doing? As individuals. And sadly, I said, our culture, with Satan's help, has cast a very bad light on Christians and on the truth, especially recently with the rulings of our Supreme Court uh, as they pertain to abortion. And when people uh, who believe, like we do, believe that that was good and right and righteous, it causes an outlash, and, uh, a backlash. And just, uh, you see kind of the underbelly of society as we've been seeing it for a while, how people uh, think that it actually is a woman's right, and it, and it is. And, and yet, even the Supreme Court ruled, no, there's no such right that's given to a woman for that. This is not something sexist. This is something immoral, and uh, and, and so you understand where I'm going. I want us to remember, uh, as a church, that every church has an assignment. Every church has a mission. Um, it, 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 if you will, if 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 you will, uh, if you will be given the mission, you will have been given the mission from the Lord Jesus Himself, which makes it holy. What means that it means that God thought enough of us to put us in this this dispensation for such a time as this so that we could actually reach people with the gospel. That means that every assignment, no matter where it is, whether it's Morgan Hill or Moses Lake or a metropolis somewhere, that every assignment is holy ground because Jesus gave himself not only for the people who need the gospel in that place, but he gave himself to us to reach those people with the message of Christ. Every place then is important. Every place is important because God wants us to accomplish something supernatural there. It doesn't matter where that is, um, if it's whether it's here or yonder, another state, another country. Wherever God sends people, God needs to reach those people, and God meet, that means that everybody involved in that process is special to Him. This area is special because ministry is needed here, and you and I have been put in this place. We talked about all that. Um, And and I said this at the end of the introduction. You and I are not Moses. And we're not David. uh, And we're not the Apostle Paul. And that's a great thing because God made us the way we are. He made you the way you are. That means that you're special. That means that you have an innate, innate ability to reach the people that God has ordained for you to reach that somebody else can't reach. So I don't need to be Moses. I don't need to be David. I don't need to be Paul. But what I do need is God. And we need to remember that in the light of all of this. You are important as who you are. And when you accept all of that, you're empowered by God, and He wants them to transform you and to transform this place and your assignment here into holy ground. God said, Moses, don't come any farther. Because what you don't understand is in my presence, wherever I'm calling you to be it's holy. And I want you to understand that. The very first important thing is, as if Moses doesn't turn aside to see, God doesn't call. So Moses is interested. In what's going on here? And because he is interested in something that he's never seen and something that's never happened, God says, Moses. Then he gets called. And then God says, Look, where I'm standing and where you're about to go is holy. I want you to remember that. So significantly take off your shoes. I want you to come to me. And that's when things start to happen. That's when God starts to speak. That's when Moses starts to listen. And even then, Moses starts to question at that very moment, wait a minute, I'm in holy ground. What am I doing here? And you're sending me to another place? That place is going to be holy uh, because you said you're going to go with me. And who yet, who am I? And so there's a lot of things that we can relate here to Moses. But what I want to do is I want to go back and recap what we talked about in our church. In order for all of that to take place, for supernatural achievements to happen, Uh, There are several resources available to every church and and, and every community. And these resources are never limited, I said, by geography. They're never limited by finances. They're never limited by size. They're never limited by facilities. And they're available for every church in every place. And and the resources are as follows. Number one, if you want to refill in your notes, every congregation is unique. Every congregation is unique. Letter A. We said every congregation bears a likeness to all other churches, but each church has more distinctives than similarities. We use the reference in First Corinthians 12:5, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestations of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And so we, want, we, we talked briefly about the uniqueness of our church. Letter B, we said God gives uniqueness to a church for us to recognize and to use it. Um, the, one of the greatest mistakes is trying to make a church to be like another church. Because God's made every pastor different. God's made every people different. And though there may be similarities in some things, especially doctrinally, um, there are going to be more uniquenesses and distinctiveness, and God says that's okay. I'm God. Have you ever seen my creation? Everything's different, and I've made so many different varieties of the same thing. Uh, we have an American Bull Mastiff, and we learned that uh, every country, every every country, almost every country in the world has their version of the American Bull Mastiff. And each country is unique. They all have a closely similar jaw and closely similar head. But their body structure, their temperament, everything is different. You know what? That's the way we are. We are unique. God has put us here as a unique church. And God says, look, that's a resource because I made you that way. And I want you to use that. Secondly, we said every church needs the loving relationship of a pastor. And we talked about that. We talked about every pastor really knows this in his heart. We said a couple of things about that relationship. Letter A. We said the relationship must be reciprocal. Somebody tell me what reciprocal means. Back and forth. It goes both ways, right? Um, I love and you return the love. I'm compassionate, you return the compassion. I'm gracious, you return the graciousness. That's that's what's reciprocal. That's the, that's the one of the resources that God has given every local church. Secondly, we said about that relationship that it must be without respect of persons. So that I don't love I don't love Steve Keen necessarily more than I love Cassie Castleberry, right? It's without respect of persons. Why? Because God's love is that way. God doesn't say, I love Cassie more than Steve, though we could see probably why God would do that. God doesn't do that, all right? God doesn't say, no, I love people... Based on who they are. God says, I love people based on who I am. And I'm love. And I am not going to be uh, respect or a respecter of persons. But God's charity, his love suffers long with everybody. God's love is kind to everybody. God doesn't envy as if we have that kind of love, we're not supposed to envy somebody else. Why? Because we're unique. And God's met our needs uniquely. We said, let it be. It must be without respect to persons. Thirdly, we said it must be redemptive. And we talked about the relationship. Every wrong in a relationship must be righted. Every fault must be confessed and forgiven. That means that all hatred envy, strife must be put out of the church because we don't want Satan to have a foothold. Remember that? In Matthew chapter 5, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath fought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, First, be reconciled to thy brother. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God has ordained restoration in every relationship? Okay. Do you also believe that the grace of God is sufficient for that relationship in every relationship? Okay. If we believe that, that's a resource. That God says, listen, I've given to some apostles and and, uh, evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ, So that they can all grow up into him in all things. God says, I've given you a relationship that I've ordained, but it has to be specific. We're supposed to love one another, even as Christ loved us. Is that right? And so every church is unique. Every church needs a loving relationship with a pastor. Thirdly, we said every church needs Bible preaching. Now, I want you to think about this. Don't forget the context. This is mission, mission possible. God says this is a unique place. I've put a unique church there. I've given them a pastor. I want them to to accomplish something special because there are special needs where i put you. So I want you to use your uniqueness. I want you to use your relationship. But I want you to make sure that you're using my word. Every church needs Bible preaching. We said a few things about that. Letter A, God's preserved the Bible as a supernatural guide for life and faith. And we all agreed to that. Amen? We all understand that God's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And when he gave us his word, he gave us something that no other generation has ever had. We are the single most informed and equipped people of God who have ever lived. And so shouldn't it be that we're accomplishing more than has ever been done? Right? That, that's the resource that God's given us. Every church needs Bible preaching. We said the Bible says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We understand that. And sadly, many people consider the Bible and preaching as lifeless and out of date. And yet, let it be, we said preaching is one of God's favorite ways to communicate with people. God communicates through preaching. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish is what? Foolishness. Because if they're saved, it is the power of God. And so God's ordained it. Now, every preacher has a different style of preaching. And the authority of preaching doesn't come from the style of preaching. It comes from the word of God. It is the power of thus saith the Lord. That way when the preacher comes down out of the pulpit and it goes into that loving relationship, nobody says to him, who do you think you are? Right? Because no pastor worth the salt stands in that pulpit and thinks anything of himself. He says, no, I'm not standing here because of who I am. Because in the line of Moses standing before the children of Israel, he's not standing there because of who I am. He's standing there because of the I am. That's a huge difference, right? So every church needs Bible preaching. Um, We said, letter B, it's a favorite way to communicate, letter C. We said, sound biblical preaching can help every hearer and every preacher grow. Um, Being in the pastor for as long as I have, I want you to know that there is something very, and you can really understand this if you're a pastor. Something very um, special when you study. It's very unique. There's something very, um, very intimate when you study a passage of scripture and God begins to unlock little things and give you some insight and illuminate your eyes and your heart. Am I right? There's something very special. And as a preacher, you honestly, when you get to that place where you know this is what God wants you to say to the people, you can't wait to say it. You can't wait to say it. That's why every preacher, when they come back from vacation, is so great to preach. <laughs> because they haven't said nothing except stop, don't do that, don't worry, you know. <laughs> except pretending to their own little flock. They, to take a preacher out of the pulpit and say, you, you cannot preach anymore, you might as well just kill him. Because that's what God's called him to do. And so when we preach, God grows us first, hopefully. And then what he wants to do through that growth is to grow someone else. It's grace given to us, grace given to someone else. If you, if anybody watch tennis? Nobody watch tennis? Djokovic is the number one seed in the whole world. He's, he's the best player in the world. He has been for a very long time. And one unique thing that a, a lot of them do, a lot of tennis players do when they're done, Wimbledon is on right now they'll always face a specific section of the uh, stadium and they'll do something, right? Djokovic, and I I don't think he's a Christian, I haven't researched it, but Djokovic does this. He looks up and he goes... And then he faces that way and he goes... I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. Is he... Is he calling down wind? (laughs) I don't know what he's doing. And then I thought, you know what it looks like to me? It's like... He's been so, God's been so gracious to him. Again, he, he could be a communist. I have no idea. He could be an atheist. But to me, what he's saying is, whatever I've received from up there, I want to give it back to you. And, and, and again, he could be lost forever and, 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 and not be saved. But that's a great picture of what should be happening in every Christian's life. Especially the preacher. But if I get from God, and God's gracious enough to give it to you question is, why did he give it to you? He did he give it to you, so you just start, and I've got to give more pockets, because that's that giving me. And, you know, when I was little, i just stick everything in my pocket, and I'd walk around with pockets like this. Pockets, you know, pockets be all, I'd be walking around, you know, shaking, shaking, jingling all over the place. I got spurs, I'd jingles, but my pockets were doing that, right? And it was just pack and, and it, it's like, my, my, my uh, mom would say, do you have a nickel? Oh, yeah. Just pull all that stuff out and be like, oh, not in that pocket. Let's see if it's in this pocket. He's dropping stuff all over the place, you know. And, and I think sometimes that's what Christians are with grace. And wisdom and knowledge and love and the Spirit of God. It's we're in it for us. And as long as we have pockets to put it in, we don't have to distribute. And God says, but that's not why I'm here. God didn't burn the bush and call Moses so he could stand before the people of God in Egypt and say, hey, guess what? I met with God. I want you to know that. He sent me here to tell you that I am, is with me. Thanks for pointing. <laughs> no. He sent it with a message that was going to affect them. And if you read long enough in the script of God, what he was going to do in Israel was that the world may know that there is a God Now, the reality is that through preaching, everybody can grow. People are ripe for a voice, William Williman said that that gives them something significant worth living for and dying for. And that's when we left off. Okay? let to take the last part of this time together, and I want to talk about the remaining resources. Now that we have those things, the first things established, and we're there at, at, at Bible preaching, what's the next resource? And number four is every setting has potential. Every setting has potential. Um, brother uh, Dennis, what did you say Moses lake was its city proper? 20, 27,000 people, but the area of the county would be like 50. Okay. So we had 27,000 people. We have thousand people. San Jose has a million. San Francisco has close to a million. And different pods between here and there have several hundred thousand people. Okay. Um, but what about San Martin? 12,000 people maybe. 7,000, 7,000, spread out. Okay? Spread out. Um Salinas, farther, Peak city, those 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 places you kind of go through, either look for a bathroom or something to get a coke or something, and then that's it. We go through, right? But God doesn't see that. God sees every place with potential. Um, I, I want you to just listen to listen the verses that I'm that I'm gonna read. You. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Ye be witnesses Unto me in both Jerusalem, the city, and in all Judea, well, all the cities in Judea, and even in Samaria, and all those cities, because it says all, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul said, let's go again and visit our brethren in every city. Okay? So God has never, listen to me, God has never sent anyone somewhere that didn't have a need of mercy and He is always at work everywhere, which means several things. I want you to write some, fill in some blanks here. Some are a little lengthy. But A, that means that something special needs to be done in every city. Do you believe that? See, we can say that it, we believe it, but do we believe it here. If God wants to do something special here, somebody within a very short radius of this church needs the Savior. And they need the opportunity to change. Well, Pastor, what if there are the LGBTQ? All the more reasons. What if they've had several abortions? Well, let me ask you this. What if they've had five husbands, and the one that they're living with is not their husband? There was a lady in the Bible that met Jesus like that. It's easy to visualize needy people in San Francisco, L.A., Chicago, New York, Detroit, D.C., but spiritually unreached people can also be found in the next street over from where you live. The very next house over. We've got to take an interest to seek out those to whom God already sees and desires to save. And when we are not actively seeking the lost, we consent to ourselves that God's not at work there. you hear what I said? When we go blindly into the store, out of the store, have conversations when we're about our business, when we're at work, okay? Or busy about doing whatever we're doing as markets. If we are not looking for those people without a shepherd were consenting that God is not at work. But he is at work. Okay? That means that understanding that is a resource. Wait a minute. I want to open my eyes to what God sees. Lift up your eyes. And look, the fields are ripe already unto harvest. Let it be. although kingdom opportunities usually are measured by the masses, they can only be accomplished by winning individuals who live across the fence. Up the street, down the freeway, across the town. One person at a time. We forget that the one uh that the one matters to God, and sometimes the one is the biggest difference in the economy of God. We wanna we, we want we want to hear of three and five and seven and ten and fifteen getting saved on a weekly basis. So God says, I work individually. What about the one? Does the one matter? Does he? Because according to the Bible, if one sinner repents, it, all of heaven rejoices. He rings the bell. The one makes a difference in the economy of God. D.L. Moody. A rebellious teenager who probably nobody but his Sunday school teacher ever thought squat about the Moody. And yet, he reached him, and D.L. reached millions. Billy Graham, H. J. Ironside, R.A. Forrest, George Mueller. And by the way, you. That's how important you are to God. Just because you haven't seen all those people get saved and you don't see your impact doesn't mean there's not somebody, even if it's one, that you can and need to reach. Let us see what, a, what appear to be insurmountable church problems melt like ice cubes in the sun when we recall how many people have never heard about Jesus Christ. That's a resource. What do you mean? If the church when they come in I, I had years ago I was telling the story of so somebody years ago I had a lady come into our church uh, come into my office after Sunday and she said um, can I ask you a question um, why is everybody in the church not going through so many problems like I am and I said how do you know that she said, well I don't but it just always feels like nobody goes through anything except me and I said Well, I can tell you from the truth that that is not the case. Everybody is going through something all the time, and they have their own of problems. She said, well, can I I make a suggestion? I said, absolutely. She said, would it be okay if we just took a Sunday and walked in, and everybody could share all their problems? I think we'd feel better about ourselves. I said, no. She said, well, Why? And I said, I, I called her name, and I said, we don't come to the church to share all of our problems to see who has worse or less. We come to the church to talk about the one answer to everybody's problems. Yeah. And I said, if you're focusing on if someone else is having the problem that you're having, you're missing the answer to the problem. And she got up and left, and they talked about it shortly after that, You know what she wanted? She wanted... She wanted to feel better about herself in light of somebody else instead of feeling right with God and depending on God. That, um, when a church comes together and they know that they're here for God to do something special in them and for people, if they can get their eyes on the people living around the church who are not saved, you know what happens to your problem? They go away. Because in light of hell, there is no problem. to save you from that greatest problem. Anything less, anything short of hell is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Now, that's the reality. Uh, pastor Chalvin is my pastor. He, w- people deride him sometimes for this. Every time I call him, he's oh, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, oh, oh. mm-hmm. ah, he's a part of the problem with my pastor sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, brother, I'm going to pray for you. You know what you need to do? Good, 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 See, See goes over it. Real church problems, and all you want me to do is go tell someone about Jesus. Doesn't that sound so spiritual when you say that? I didn't call you to tell me to go do something. I called you to sympathize with me, send me money, help me, whatever it takes to get this problem out of the church, and all you want me to do is care about somebody's soul. And yet, you know what? It works. You start talking to somebody about the eternality of where they're going to be, you get to share with them how gracious God's been to you. You know how small your problems are? In light of eternity? That's huge. But Let, Let's say this. This would be a good time to revive the spirit of soul when you know Okay? It, it really would be. I wonder how many people live in our area who've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Never heard. In our area. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about Nigeria, Cameroon. I'm talking about places like that. I'm talking about I'm not talking about uh, Somalia. I'm talking about where we live, where you and I live, where we recreate. I wonder how many people have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. The potential of any place rests with the fact that God has put people in a place where people need the gospel, or they need love, or they need a good friend, or they need an example, they need a shepherd, and need a purpose, which leads me to number five, another resource, that is every church has something to offer. Every church has something to offer, in spite of the current limitations. Every church has something to offer in ministry to uh, to everyone that attends. It may be friendship, it may be fellowship, it may be encouragement, it may be restoration. Um, let me ask you this: What do you think you have to offer? Now, listen. Moses didn't think he had anything to offer, and God kind of agreed with it. He said, "Just remember, this isn't about you." This is about me. So, and he's like, yeah, but I can't speak. Yeah, I'll fix that. Yeah, but I don't know what to say. Yeah, I'll fix that. And finally, when God was done, he says, look, just go. It's not about you, Moses. It's about me. Did you Now, think about this. He's sitting in front of a post that's not burning. I mean, it's burning, but it's not being consumed. Right? That in and of itself, in the face of God, In talking with God face to face. That, by the way, no one has done. He's forgetting who he's talking to. And who's he focusing on? Himself, man, if Moses could do it in the face of God, how hard is it to do it in this atmosphere? That we would actually stay engaged long enough, not just to hear the Lord speak, but to leave off the Mount of God and go to someone and say, Hey, I want you to know it's not about me. To share with you the hope that life is in And it's not because of me, it has everything to do with the gracious, loving God. Can I tell you my story? Can I speak with you about how much God thinks of you? How much He loves you? Love you? Um, every church has that to offer. We all have it. Letter A Every church t- turns into a holy center of productive ministry when a congregation, in the key word, believes it has something worthwhile for every person, even a pretendent. You may say, well, what do we have to offer someone looking for a church? Well, to begin with, we have Bible preaching. To begin with, we have our love for one another. And guess what? We have you. Now, don't think of yourself like Moses. Oh, well, I can't do that. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. But you can't do something. You apparently have something to offer. Well, how do you know that? Because you're here. God brought you here because you need me. And God says, I can use that. I'm just looking for any old bush will do. I'm just looking to inhabit that bush. Apparently you are worth offering because God has you here right now for people who need him. And he believes that you have what it takes to reach them, to love them, to care for them, and to teach them how to be more like him. He believes in you. That's why he brought you. But it be... We have been lulled into believing that the small church has little to offer, which dilutes the fact that when the church is actually the church, it is a mighty instrument in the hand of God for garments of its size. Now I want you to turn your Bibles briefly. I think I have time for this. Turn your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter one. Way back at the Old Testament. That's a lot. Thessalonians only chapter one. Every church, even if it's small, has something to offer, and the power of God is diluted when the church says, "Well, we can't really do ministry until we get to a certain level," and that is a lie. It's not true. First, that's the only Let's know what Paul says about this new For so our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us. Let's look up here. How many can become a follower? Let me say your hand. How many can become a follower? Anybody in here? How many of us can become a Okay. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. So that ye were, in samples, of all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were spread abroad, so that we need not seek anything. For they themselves show us what manner of energy in we had into you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for the Son of Uh, from his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now look, the fact of the matter is, everything in there that they were doing, they were doing from the beginning. And it got to the point where they were actually examples to other congregations who had more opportunity than they did. Now the fact of the matter is, they didn't wait. They didn't say, well, you know, we have to get to this level before we can tell someone about Christ. No, the Bible says that they uh, that they uh, that they turned to God from idols. Could you do that? Okay. Could you serve the living and true God? Could you actually wait and look for the hope of grace and the return of the Son of Man? We can all do that, but that's not all they were doing. You see, they were giving the gospel. And they became examples to other churches who apparently weren't doing what they were doing. And Paul noted it. John Wesley said, give me a hundred men who hate nothing but sin and love God with all their hearts, and I'll shake the world with Christ. He didn't say, give me a congregation of 10,000. He didn't say, give me 12,000 or 15,000 or even 1,000. He said, give me a hundred. Give me a hundred men who fear God and hate sin, and I will shake the world. How is that even possible? Well, because it's already been done. The Bible says that they turned the world upside down who had actually listened to Christ and followed his name. Okay? That is a huge resource that every church has something to offer, which means this church does. The old song is true, little is much when God is in it. Just ask Gideon. Just ask David. Ask the widow with just two mics. If God is enough, God empowers the available to reach the accessible. I love that. He empowers the available to reach the accessible. SNBC has something to offer everyone who walks in the doors. I believe that. Do you believe that? Because what I believe SNBC has to offer doesn't come from me, it comes from God. And if you and I would actually believe that, you know what you won't be doing during fellowship? You won't be standing the you. At the beginning of the church time, you won't come in and think that the most important thing is making sure that you're this mark. It'll be, who's here that I can minister to? Because I'm here because God put me. And God wants to use me in this place the visitor walks through that door, what do I have to offer? Um, well, let's start with your smile. Can everybody smile? How many can smile? How many aren't, but they, they know I should probably be smiling right now? Just his hands up. Good. That's okay. I love kids. Not for a smile. Um, you would expect you would expect at the pastor that I believe the church has something to offer. You would expect that. And you would expect that God would say the church of something God. But sometimes you don't expect the future. And, and, and I'm saying that out of love. I want you to understand I'm not here, I'm not berating people. I don't have anybody in mind. I have us as a church in mind. Because that's a resource. And God says, listen, I have you here so that I can use you here. And it doesn't matter how many of us are here. We could bemoan all that are not here. But God says, I, I want you to know if two or three are here in my name, then the most important person in the universe is here All of these things are tremendous resources that are available to every church, but there's one more that makes the great, and in the last one. Number six is that every church should have God's supernatural power. And again, that is not due to size Moses was to one okay it's amazing how many times that God uses the one only one and you could go through the gamut of the word of God and say, Man, I used one to do that one to do that Gideon only had 300 he slaving, you know 300% more than that 30,000 million you could just go through all over and over again and God says listen I don't need a lot I just need what's up there the lugs and that we go We're all guilty of taking six days to listen to all the problems in our society, abortion, mental health, suicide, corrupt district attorneys, viable sheriffs, incompetent leaders. We hear it from cultural criminals to moral assassins to political pulpits. We hear and we know it all. Then we come into this place on a Sunday morning, listen to 35 or 40 minutes with a preacher, while sitting with about 50 other people. And we began to think that contemporary sin and brokenness in moral society are too big for God. Because we've spent six days saying, here's all the problems. And less than an hour saying that my God is able. Okay? We look around and begin to be more concerned about the science of our church than we do the signs of our God. Friend, let me just say that that is wrong. I... I I, I stand on the edge of saying, that's sin, because whatsoever is not a faith, is sin. For me to come into this place and think that an hour or two a week is going to be enough for me to come back, all of the things that Satan says God cannot, is not, and will not do, it's wrong. I should leave here. I should leave opening that book, thinking that my God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above whatsoever I could ask or think, regardless of what the world says. What did God say to Moses? I am, period. I am the all-existent, ever-existent. I have no ending. I am the all-powerful God that is going to be with you, Moses. Is that enough? And we fail the grace of God, if not at the least frustrate the grace of God. If we leave here and think that because of who we are as a congregation, we have nothing to offer, then we have the eternal God to offer everyone. Letter A contemporary sin and brokenness are not too big for God's power. Amen. (laughs) Contemporary sin and brokenness are not too big for God's power. It can redeem a society as easily as He created the earth and rose from the earth. Just remember that. Many that believed and confessed and showed their deeds, many of them also would use curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they continued, they they, uh, counted the price of them and found the 50,000 pieces of silver so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. One man went into a city, preached the gospel, and God's word prevailed. And so much so that people were convicted of their sin, brought all of their uh, demonic worship things and burnt them in the city. And then, what happened? God was the Lord of God. And the word of God grew. Why? Because of God, not because of the Let be, complex problems in the church are not too big for God's power either. No matter how, how complex they are. Sometimes the pastor, you look at the church, and you see all these things, and you go, do you not? You just look at it, and you go, bah! From a human standpoint, pastors go, I don't play that no, I, I can't do word puzzles. I'm, I'm, I don't do crosswords. I hate crosswords. I'm like, you're giving me three words to guess one word, and there's nothing on the page. can you give me a vow. I'd like to buy a vow. Yeah, I can't do crosswords. Can't do word searches because I know it's in there, right? And that's where we go wrong is we make it like a crossword, and we're, we want to get more hints. And God says, no, 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 the answer's in there. He's got to look. Oh, it's me. You see, it, it's amazing what happens, how crippling problems can be to a church because we think not only is society underdeveloped by an almighty God, but the problems within a church are too big for God itself. And why is that? Because no one will allow God to be God. And the focus becomes wrong. And so what happens? Too big, problems too big. We're going to go to a church that doesn't have any problems. Uh, if that's it, I'm going to come to your church because I know your church doesn't have any problems. You're too great of a pastor for your church to have problems. I know that. See, you would say, Pastor, you're saying you're foolish. God says, no, no. I'm not to be crazy you this. I am God. I am God. The church of Corinth was dysfunctional. It was divided. It was distracted. It could have been destroyed by sin. But Paul, Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla, along with others, decided that God's power was enough, and that church was saved by the grace of God. We talk about a dysfunctional example. It was also moved and encouraged by smaller churches to let, the grace, uh, to let grace have its way. It was encouraged. This dysfunctional, problematic church was helped by other smaller churches because they allowed the grace of God to use them. That means that divine empowerment is available in every setting and in every need. Do you know that? Have you accessed it? Let me say it again. Divine empowerment. Divine empowerment is available in every setting for every need. This power is as important as it's as important and effective in ordinary situations as it is in spectacular presents. We we're up here we're gonna introduce a new song today, Lord willing, and we're gonna sing. And I always want to pray and say to God, Lord, this is this may be ordinary to us. We can't truly worship Him. It doesn't happen. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. If you don't rely on the power of God, rely on the Spirit, you ain't got it. You can't have it. You can't have the power of God without God's Spirit of God. You can't. It is the power of God living in you. I need to yield to it and make my members instruments of righteousness. I can't do that. Why? Because no man ever yet pleased of God in the flesh. I've got to depend on it, and, and, and that's that's the empowerment. The church must be much more reliant on supernatural empowerments for every day ministry. You teach a class here, whether it's the teens, you you we're, we're going to go to camp. We could, we go to camp with the idea that just because we're here, something's going to happen. It's never going to happen. The same thing is true here. The same thing is true when you teaching a class. The same thing is true when you try to minister and have some kind of gathering. It's not you need listening. You and I need God. We need God. I say all of this to remind you and I that ideal conditions do not create a satisfying ministry. Many of you have been long, around long enough to know that. Real meaning comes from developing an intimacy with the Lord Jesus. Moses spoke face to face with God. Do you? Because if you do, then you know what? putting your rod down to become a serpent won't be a big thing. Dipping it in the water to turn the blood won't be a big thing. When it's all said and done, raising the rod and dividing the waters will not be a big thing. Because you realize, it's not me. This is God. God. I don't have God in a rod. I have God in me. I don't have a symbol of that. I have God living in If you're waiting for an ideal church setting or dreaming about the ideal place, think about Moses on the back side of the desert, tending sheep, and seeing the bush. Symbolically, Moses became that bush. Nothing special, frail and consumable, and what happened? God used him. Just like he did use you. I want us to pray over these resources, and I'm going to ask the Lord to keep our minds from thinking anything less than that something special needs to be done. I want you to think to yourself, God has put me here to do it, And we need his power to get it done. All we've got to do is give ourselves to it, and it will be done. Because every place is holy ground. What that's what I'll Lord, we, we know very clearly. So that we could glorify you. Lord, we're not many anymore. And, and if we have learned from scripture that if anything is true, we don't require many. We don't need many to be much. Lord, do much. The Lord to do anything we do need you. And so we ask that you would please help us. Help us remember that this place, in this area, you want to do something very special here. And God grace you made us already fully and acceptable. Now, Lord, help us to prove that your will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Lord, help, help us not to be conformed to the world, but, Lord, help us to have our minds renewed and transformed by your will. And Lord, help us to see that, Lord, there's somebody around us that needs the gospel. Help us to be attentive. Help us to think and understand that we have something to offer everybody that comes in this church, and may we offer ourselves at the thank you for this time. Bless our time together with you do so. All right. Thank you for being here this morning. You are dismissed.